Hello and welcome back to State of Mind with me, Grace Kingswell. Today, my guest is the amazing Kate Pope. Kate is the founder of Regenerative Cooking School and Mama Baby Biome, the online course that teaches you to reconnect with your local and ancestral food systems in order to heal and support your baby through conditions such as eczema, leaky gut, allergies and intolerances, and teaches you how to introduce solids, how to prepare and prioritize the most nutrient-dense foods for you and your family. I came across Kate when I most needed her. I was feeling exhausted and lacking direction with my son's health, and I knew I could be doing better for him regarding what he was eating, and this coming from a nutritional therapist. Sometimes as mums, we're so exhausted by it all, it's hard to do the things you know you need to. So I signed up to Kate's course and I haven't looked back. In this episode, we talk about our birth stories, healing from trauma, preparing your body for birth, pregnancy, and the postpartum period what to do if your baby was born by a C-section and how to help their microbiome recover and establish, the difference between meat stock and bone broth, first foods for babies, and so much more. It's also the first time both myself and my guest have cried recording an episode. This is such a vital listen for any parent that wants to do the best for their child. Thank you to Kate and the amazing work that she does. Go check out her Instagram, at wildnutritionist. And now let's get into the episode. And we are live and I'm here with Kate Pope. And I am, as you can tell by the tone of my voice, very excited. Welcome, Kate, to the podcast. Thank you so much, Grace. I'm just thrilled to be here. So today we are going to be talking about all things microbiome for the mother and her baby. Um, But we will probably open up that conversation to include a whole host of stuff regarding pregnancy, nutrition, motherhood, weaning, and um, for my English followers and Kate's American followers, we use the term weaning very differently. So I'm going to be, I'm going to say introducing solids because that's a lot simpler. Um, I think weaning technically means weaning your child off breast milk, whereas in the UK, for some reason, we use that to mean introducing solid food. It gets very confusing. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk all things around that. But to begin with, Kate, just introduce yourself and tell us what you do and who you are and all of the good stuff that you do. Awesome. Yeah, just a note on the weaning thing too. So I was using the word weaning and I had to look it up because people were saying, wait, is your child still in breast milk? So there's definitely some confusion out there about it. And um, introducing solids is a much better way to say it because I'm still breastfeeding my baby. And I love it. So hi, everyone. I'm Kate, and I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a GAPS practitioner. And I worked for five years as a private chef for one family. And then I transitioned to starting Regenerative Cooking School, where I teach online courses for how to cook real food at home, specifically food that's grown locally around you. And I love to talk about this in the context of how local food supports the microbiome and how important it is for families, for our earth, for community to source as local as you can. And that is really where our mission formed because my husband and I, at the time he was my boyfriend, we had so much fun and really good results by starting to eat local food and the freshness of the food, the quality of the food increased the quality of our health. And our cells regenerate. That's how we maintain health with healthy cells um, turning over in our body. So regenerative cooking school seemed like the perfect name to teach other people how to do this. And our mission has always been tied to children, the health of children and future generations having their health. When I look around me, I don't see health all around me. When I walk in the neighborhood and see the recycle bins, I know what people are eating. (laughs) And it's, it's causing a real wreaking havoc on our health. And so when I had my baby, I prepared my body for two years before having the baby. This was just basically luck because I had the partner I knew I wanted to have a baby with. And I had an education that taught me that this is what our ancestors would do. There are communities all over the world who use food as a way of preparing the body. And so that was amazing and a really fun journey for us. And it also, you know, when you start to do this physical healing, it opens up so many other aspects of healing, emotional health. And, you know, we really got clear about who we 
we're as parents as much as you can before the baby actually comes and just our goals, you know, it, it was a really sweet time. And then we had Augie and I had a birth that didn't go as planned. So we should definitely talk about birth if you want. Mm. <laughs> um, and really like all of that education was amazing. I love my background. I'm also a GAPS practitioner. So I went to school twice and the GAPS was really the specialized program studying the gut and using food to heal the gut and build the microbiome. And what I learned and observed, of course, was once through my own body and seeing myself heal using these processes and then secondhand with Augie and just knowing how to deal with any symptom that came up, um, how to be patient, how to know that healing takes time. All of those things I learned because I had worked with my own body. And again, I was able to apply that to him when he was born. And he was born by a C-section which means that his microbiome did not get as great of a chance as other babies who go through the birth canal. This is a big way that we seed the microbiome. So I have been really particular about adding in solids for him. He takes a probiotic every day. He eats probiotic foods, eats nourishing gut building foods, and that's where Mama Baby Biome was born. So it's a course where I teach mothers how to introduce solids, how to heal their own guts, how to help babies' guts, how to deal with all the issues that come from a dysfunctioning gut. And it's been a real, really amazing journey and an amazing time. I've met a lot of mothers and they've had a lot of success. I can attest to it being a wonderful course. I just found you randomly on Instagram in that wonderful way that sometimes you do. Sometimes you're served content you really don't want to see and sometimes you're served content you really do want to see. And I saw this mum and she was giving her baby liver and, you know, meat stock and broth. And I thought, okay, this is what I do. Like, I don't know anyone else like me here, even though I have um, mum friends. Um, You know, I'm unique in that sense. And it really spoke to me and I thought, okay, I need to, you know, kind of see what's up. And I think actually as a new mum, and I will totally hold my hand up and say that even though I am also a nutritional therapist and I have this knowledge, I found it incredibly hard to implement any of that in the early days. So Jude was also born by C-section, not what I wanted. And it was a planned C-section because... I think it was at about the 20-week scan, they said, oh, your placenta is like totally in the wrong place, um, completely covering the top of your cervix. This baby's like, it's not coming out that way. Um, and that was a real adjustment because when you know what you know about, that's why I always talk about sometimes knowledge being a burden, you know, when you know what you know about certain things, I started to feel really down about the fact that I couldn't have a natural birth. And I started thinking about vaginal seeding and all of this stuff and, in the end, I didn't end up doing that. Um, but I really, I really struggled myself with my own health post C-section and introducing when it got to six months, introducing solids just seemed like, oh my God, I'm completely broken by birth. My baby still doesn't sleep. He had a tongue tie for 12 weeks that no one knew about. He's, you know, I've persevered with breastfeeding, but it, oh my God, it's been so hard. And now I've got to think about three meals a day. And like, you know, it's just this extra thing that I have to do as a mum because, you know, no disrespect to my husband, but it was naturally going to fall on me, um, you know, what my son should eat. And I think I kind of just shied away from that for a bit. I kind of freaked out about it. And yeah, I, I definitely gave him nutrient dense food and probably did far better than some do. But I don't think I did well enough. And Jude did have a little bit of eczema. I wasn't consistent with probiotics. I was giving him way too many sweet things. Like he was having a bit too much fruit. And, you know, we were out and about. I was like, oh, here, try a little bit of ice cream. You know, I don't even like it was so bizarre. And then I saw that you were doing this webinar and I just jumped on and I think I caught like the last 40 minutes because of the time difference and I cried my eyes out because I was sitting there watching and I was just thinking you have so much knowledge and yet you've not done the best for your child yet and it was a real wake-up call and actually since that first webinar I was like yep I'm gonna sign up Um, I think practitioners always need practitioners and it's been so helpful to just 
give me more of a framework to what I should be feeding him and what, you know, how I can do the best for my son. It's really emotional talking about it. Um, and this is the amazing work that you do. So shall we first talk about Mama Baby Biome? Do you want to talk about the course? Do you want to share more about Augie and his story? Yeah, I also just want to acknowledge your vulnerability and um you know it's just there's so much that we can do as moms and there's so many um <laughs> there's so many avenues that this information can come in and it can put us into a really big overwhelm and i think about the birth process and just how numbing that can be for us and, and mm. as a c-section mom like literally the point is to numb you so that you don't feel anything. And I've just processed a lot. Still, there's more to process, but I'm hearing from you like, you know, this disappointment in yourself. And I just want to say that um, that's so relatable and so natural to beat ourselves up first, I think, you know, mm -hmm. because I've been there too. And I like to say that it's never too late to begin. Yeah. Anything, you know, and I know that you sharing that a lot of moms are going to be able to relate to that, even if their situation isn't exactly like yours or mine. Of course, everyone's different. But hearing you sort of like confess that and and show that you were just like, OK, you know, it just we have those moments sometimes where it's like, all right, Band-Aid's getting ripped off for me, too. Like there's just times where I've been like, why? Why did I do that? I have no clue. And I really think it can be tied into the trauma of what the birth, like, because there's so much that is suppressed and um, literally like the drugs that we received to have that birth. I mean, my birth was an emergency C-section. And so I was like complete. I mean, it's just crazy how it happens. You get to the hospital. So fast. Yeah, you get to the hospital and there were I was saying like, okay, epidural, because this is really the only words I knew how to say. Basically, like in terms of my preparation, I only knew to say, like, give me an epidural, I'll calm down, I'll my I'll like the pain will go away a little bit, I'll be able to rest, and then I can push. That was like what mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know how I got that monologue, but like, that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. I was saying, and then they hook you up to all of those machines and suddenly they're just like, this is your only option. And they're telling that to my husband. They're telling that to me. By that time, I'm already high as a kite. They had already mm -hmm. given, it wasn't actually an epidural. They gave me a combination of morphine and fentanyl. And, um, those drugs obviously have a really serious impact on your brain, your body. And so I just submitted pretty much in that moment. And it's like, it's taken me a year, it will be more years of, of processing that. And I feel so um, passionate about processing our births, because I don't want that to just live in my body and in my nervous system. Same with my husband. I mean, he went through a lot too. And so we're just working as a team, you know, we had a lot of like fighting and just stuff that came up. And finally, a therapist said to us, is it possible your bodies are still like living in the birth and mm. to me I was just like wow like that's so profound um that we might still be at that place of like that emergency and we want to have more babies so I definitely want to like keep working on that amongst us and just so much about what I want for the world comes back to the family and you know I did have a lot of support postpartum because I set it up that way and I had the education to, to learn that. And um, I have a mentor, Kimberly Ann Johnson, who wrote the fourth trimester book. And so she really emphasized to me emphatically how important it is to have a postpartum period and honor it. And from a nutritional perspective, I love Chinese medicine. That's how I got interested in nutrition in the first place. And they- Same. Really? Oh, yes. so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. A story for another time. <laughs> okay, definitely. Let's let's schedule that in. <laughs> but anyway, like I the golden window of healing, you know, is so amazing. It sets women up for health for life. And they say like the healing that happens in the first 40 days of your postpartum will impact how you go through menopause and and just how you how you 
have your vitality. And so I really, really emphasize that to my family, to my husband, I, everyone, I was like, I'm not moving. I'm laying in the bed. I'm going to go from the bed to the couch. This is the food we're going to have. You're going to cook it for me. I'm not doing dishes. And then like in the time I did the dishes a couple times, I wanted to cook a mm. few times, but it was like still for me as a go, go, go person, as this woman who loves her career and to be out in the world, it was a big deal for me to just siphon off that time. But at the same time, I was like, how could I not do this? It's such a precious window. We prepared our bodies for this. It was our dream for so long. And I'm just in love with motherhood every, every ounce of it the hard parts and the great parts. So for me, it was like, yeah, let's try out this treating me like a princess thing because I think I deserve it. And all moms yeah. do. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I think in that sense, because I did have this knowledge about food, the microbiome, I was able to really work on my physical health. I also had some body workers set up um, to work with me and Augie before the birth, which I would recommend that anyone who's, you know, in the preconception plan, if you can like rearrange your finances, I would, I went into credit card debt for this. Like, you know, it's just, it mattered that much to me. And it's like, this is such a unique time that there will be other parts of my life where I can pay off debt. And I can, I can, I know we can dig ourselves out of any little hole that we get into because the vitality, the health and the structure that we set in this foundational time is yeah. that important totally agree with everything that you've just said and some of it's so resonant I don't think that we have processed anything yet and I I definitely have a habit of just breezing through stuff I've been in, in and out of hospital a lot in my life and I think that because I've had other surgeries all within that gynecological space I when they told me I had to have a C-section I was crushed but part of me also thought like I know what this feels I know what it feels like to recover from abdominal surgery um you know I had like a massive ovarian cyst when I was 17 and the pe like the pain of that and the being in the hospital I was like I you know I've got this I can do this is this is almost more um familiar to me than labor because that's not something I know how to do but it oh my god just like so different just took me completely just wiped me out I had a huge hemorrhage before my planned c-section date so we in, ended up delivering earlier than usual and and then some stuff in hospital like the nurses just like left me all alone and I passed out and like Nick was holding the baby and I was on the floor like with my eyes rolled back in my head and he was like pulling the emergency thing and yet you come home and you have this little thing that you have to look after and you just you just get on with it and I put support in place as well I had my mum here and she cooked me like chicken heart bolognese and and you know like we we did our best as well but I still think that the biggest adjustment becoming a mother I think for me was realizing that I'm I can't put myself first anymore and I can't put my health first anymore and for someone that's been through a huge healing journey and as you know, since they were super young, had symptom after symptom and been chronically fatigued and like finally got themselves into a place where they were. And we also had to have IVF because of the stuff that happened when I was younger. Um, so we, you know, we knew that we were going to go through IVF and everything like that. And I had prepared really well and we we got it first time and they were like, oh, my God, how did we harvest 19 top quality eggs? And I was like, have you heard of nutrition? Like, this is not. <laughs> that you know they were like this is unbelievable you know this oh. is such you know as if it was as if it was something that just I was really lucky to have have these amazing quality eggs I mean I was but I also worked damn hard on those eggs oh yeah totally um, that's crazy I mean so many people with Augie they'd be like wow you're so lucky and they'd even do doomsday on us next time it's not going to be like that it's like actually this is called nutrition <laughs> yeah um but no it's mental and then and then so yeah for me just realizing that I couldn't put myself first like I couldn't even sleep I couldn't even you know do all these things it's and it's I'm still adjusting to that Jude's about to turn one as well and it's that's part of becoming a mum, isn't it and it's it's crazy you're yeah. at the bottom of the pile <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know so for me with the processing of the birth I did like little things I did things that were not very like 
star studded, you know, like just exactly, um, what am I saying? I'm saying that I did subtle ways of working with it. I did more private group kind of things, um, where I could kind of just like passively process. But then once the one year anniversary hit, my body was like, we're doing this sister. And, um, mm. I, my background is in dance and I did a lot of expressive arts therapies. I have a lot of access to the intelligence of my body and my ability to self heal. And <laughs> I did, amazing. I, yeah, I had a rebirth. And so, and so since then, that's when the more active healing has really come in. And I think like it was just so tender for so long and, you know, there was shame and, um, pain and anger and rage around this like it was I was seriously and still am pissed off about what happened um yeah and so I just think for everyone listening and for you like trust your body's timing when it comes up don't push it back down let it come out because for me there are times when I'm just like with Augie at home and suddenly I'm like groaning and pushing this baby and I'm like okay, I guess we're just going to like go with this, you know, Um, which may sound really strange, but it's like, if you allow your body to be in the space, um, stuff will come out and it's scary, but it's a lot scarier to hold it in for years and years. Oh, totally. And that's something listeners of this podcast will be well aware of how the body holds trauma on a somatic level and beautiful books that they can read by Gabor Mate. And, you know, that's, yeah, that kind of somatic healing is so important. I need to take my own advice, basically, because I just breeze through without dealing with any of this stuff. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about then, I did have a lot of questions on Instagram around C-section births and you know, like, do I need to give my baby probiotics or should I just... So I I did give Jude probiotics to begin with. And then I read some research and I actually decided to take them myself and let him self-select what he wanted through my breast milk, which is a luxury that I had because I was able to breastfeed. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Um, and also, you know, introducing uh, fermented foods for them and a lot of questions like, can babies eat sauerkraut? Is it not too salty? Um, but oh, yeah. what did you do then for for Augie, knowing, okay. you know, with this knowledge that he was a C-section baby, um, how did you tackle that? So really interesting information that I have read post-birth that gave me a lot of confidence. And that was that our I mean, and I I knew this because we don't just have a gut microbiome. We have a microbiome of um, in our blood and in every vital organ of the body, all in our skin. There's trillions of microbes that live symbiotically with humans. And when they're in balance, they help humans. When they're out of balance, they create symptoms, which are messengers to tell us, hey, get your microbiome in balance. So... I found great peace in the fact that the placenta has a microbiome. And of course, to deliver those nutrients, we are most likely delivering microbes and a microbial flora with those nutrients because that's how the body assimilates. And so there is likely some seeding, and there's research on this, of the microbiome with the placenta. And the placental microbiome most closely mimics the oral microbiome. So that's another good reason to take care of your oral health and swish probiotics in your mouth and eat fermented foods preconception, during pregnancy, and postpartum. So what I did 10 days after Augie was born was I started giving him an infant probiotic, which is very clean, no additives, no fillers, no rice, anything, no prebiotics, just probiotic with um, an infant formula that is very gentle for babies. And it doesn't have some of the more intense strains that would cause what we say die-off reactions in the body. So essentially that is when good bacteria comes into the system and the bad quote bacteria dies because now there is new bacteria that can help balance the system. So when he was 10 days old, he started taking that. I immediately saw results. And it's so interesting because the results were not steady the whole time. And that's something about natural healing with food and gut healing. You're going to see fluctuations in symptoms and you're going to see changes. Some days it could look like constipation. Some days it could look like diarrhea and all this poop's coming out. The main thing is to just keep tracking it and trusting in 
the cleanness of the probiotics uh, and gauging, is this helping? Is this helping and I need to push it a little further? Is this, is this kind of impeding him or is he at a stuck point and we need to pull back a little bit so that he can, mm-hmm. his body can adjust at the time it needs to? Or am I, is this dose feeling really good? So we just monitored it that way. I gave him a very small dose to begin with, even less than what the manufacturer recommended because I always want to go less with probiotics in the beginning than more just because I'm, I'm really using it as a way to observe the body and to notice what things change. And so when I have a, when I use less, I can, that's a safeguard for me because it's like, oh, well, it was just a tiny amount. So the symptom or the die-off reaction potential is much less. Um, I was drinking kefir, but I stopped at uh, about the same time that he introduced the probiotic, raw homemade kefir, because I, he was, Augie was spitting up and spitting up and spitting up. And the theory that I have working from this is, yeah, he was nursing on demand and there was, he maybe at times was getting like an overflow of milk and that was causing the indigestion and the spitting up. But I also think that there was some damage to the lining of his stomach from the drugs that we received. So he didn't receive antibiotics and labor, but of course I did. And he drank my milk. So he's getting morphine. I mean, there's just no, like, we're not beating around the bush here. You know, it's straight up that baby got drugs. And that's something that now his body and his system has to deal with. And so I knew that the probiotics would help him clear that. I knew that his body and his liver could help him clear that. I knew the breast milk would help him heal. I mean, breast milk's incredible. I see so many babies born and, you know, it looks like, oh, that was a rough ride. Two months later, I'm like, wow, that breast milk really did you good. You know, it's just so incredible. So um, if, you know, at all costs, I think that's like the main thing to fight for. If, if there's something, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of moms who are like, my, I'm drying up. Um, you know, I can't access my breast milk, keep fighting for it. You are doing the right thing by trying to get this at all costs. And then donor milk is what I would say. Apparently there's some really great Facebook groups all around the world with donor milk. So yeah, check that out. Um, and so the probiotic, yeah. And we just continued on with that for ever. <laughs> he's still on it right now. And we've actually upped his dose. Now he takes like a pretty big spoonful, much bigger than the manufacturer recommends twice a day. And he eats fermented foods. So <clears throat> the thing about commercial probiotics is they're actually less strong than homemade fermented foods. And this has been documented yeah. in research. So your the ferments that you make at home from your local food using sea salt or another type of inoculant, which I teach about in Mama Baby Biome, you are going to give your baby the blessing of diversity. And diversity is key when it comes to the microbiome. And so this is something we're used to hearing about nutrition. We're used to hearing diversity, um, lots of different types of foods. And I actually am in the camp with babies that there's a small amount of foods that we give them where the diversity comes from is the fermented foods. So they're getting Mm. trillions and billions of species. And the breast milk. Yeah. And the breast milk. Exactly. Mm. So I'm kind of, I've kind of bridged now to talking about when you transition to solids, because the other interesting thing about this is that my body's also detoxing. My body has an ecosystem. We share it. But what I noticed when I introduced meat stock to Augie, this is the miraculous thing, actually, he stopped spitting up completely. He had one big burp when I gave him his first teaspoon of meat stock and he never spit up again. So what that shows me is that the meat stock supported the lining of his stomach. He was now able to better digest food. We continued breastfeeding. And his body now has resources apart from me to support his healing, if that makes sense. So yes, the breast milk is very healing for him. But there's also elements of the breast milk that are feeding the bad bugs in his body. And that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's an acceptance that I have. Like it's not perfect. I'm not aiming for perfect health. I'm aiming for really good, feel good in my body, type of health, function as a mom, love my life kind of health. You know, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And that is passed to Augie. So of course the baby's a baby. He cries. He, you know, he hurts sometimes. He has all of these dynamic feelings and things that we experience as humans. And I am working so diligently to support his microbiome so that his body has the best fighting chance for everything that this world is going to present to him. And I do that through the foods that I feed him. 
Yeah. When I introduced meat stock to Jude, and I'd given him meat stock, but I wasn't doing it consistently. Like he wasn't having two or three cups a day every single day. Um, his eczema disappeared. Um, it's now, it's actually just come back. I've just noticed it's come back the last few days. But as you say, you know, it's a process. It's up and down. It's never, healing is never linear. Um, and he had really weird poos, like seriously strange poos since he was a little baby. But they are fine now. Um, and really interestingly as well, I think we were talking about this on one of the one of the Mama Baby Biome calls. But when I started introducing the meat stock regularly and I stopped, I basically stopped giving him a lot of the stuff that I was giving him. And he now just eats fatty meat, meat stock, fermented foods, a little bit of coconut yogurt. Sometimes he has a couple of blueberries and he has oily fish and he'll Great. have like maybe some occasionally he'll have like some roasted butternut squash or something yeah um but his poos went kind of gray and pasty and with my nutrition nutritional therapy cap on I was like oh my god he has an issue with bile oh his gallbladder's not working and you're like no it's okay it's just like clearing out this is good and you're so right it's kind of come back and it, he has great poos now I mean they stink but yeah. Great. <laughs> well, the stinkiness is going to be like a, a, that will also um, neutralize once the microbes are in balance a little bit more. So more I would, yeah, it's yeah, dial. Exactly. It's dial. That's the thing. Like when we're feeding the healthy foods and we have these reactions that seem a little bit scary, we can actually find peace because we know we're giving the body, we're setting up the mm. environment to heal. We're giving the body what it needs, which means it can let go. That is yeah. the beauty. That's so amazing. I love it when he has a big, massive, crazy yeasty poop. I'm like, Phew, good thing that's out, right, buddy? <laughs> you know, yeah. like better out than in, you know, and the body, when it doesn't have nutrients, when it doesn't have um, vitamin A, when it doesn't have minerals, when it doesn't have probiotic foods, it's like, I'll just store this. It's much safer for the body to store, mm. which is why we have people walking around with all these dormant diseases looking unhealthy and it manifesting in their weight, in their face, in their depression, right? Like all these things are manifesting because the body doesn't have what it needs to heal. And that's why yeah. with even with babies, like babies can have, can pass gallstones. Babies can pass parasites. Crazy things can come out of your baby's butt when you're giving them the foods <laughs> that you need to heal, they need to heal. And even, even when they're, when they're on, um, foods that might be feeding the gut, you would also see those things. So it's kind of confusing. It's like, but I saw it then and I see it now. Well, now what's happening is it's letting go, whereas before it was being fed and proliferating. Yeah. Can we explain to the lovely people listening the difference between meat stock and bone broth and why sure. you give meat stock? Yes. So meat stock is simply put, it's a soup. You make it from a meat with a joint or a bone always. It's a collagenous piece of meat, like a neck, a foot, a shank, a wing tip, anything that has a joint. So that's where the connective tissue, which is collagen, uh, attaches to the bone. And that's where there's really amazing properties for healing epithelial cells. And epithelial cells, are the they line things. So it's the cells of our skin, the cells of our gut. And so when you give meat stock, you are offering the body a very bioavailable and easily to digest form of a building block of collagen and gelatin, which rebuilds the gut lining. So that is why I emphasize meat stock and I talk about meat stock all the time because it's so foundational, it's so simple to digest, and it's so nutritive for the babies and for moms. It's not bone broth because we don't cook it for 12, 24, 36, 42, 72 hours. It's and not it's raw, crucially yeah, it's raw exactly. bones as well. It's not like you've you've had a roast chicken and then you decide to then make bone broth from the carcass. No, it's it's the raw Exactly. Bones. So it's more nutrient dense. So bone broth is is a good a regenerative food in the kitchen. It's nice to have around. It's nice to make use of your, you know, that roast chicken carcass, but it's not gonna give you the oomph that using chicken feet and a carcass raw necks as well with sea salt. Um, or not sea salt if you're just starting with babes, it's not going to be the same as the power of that really, really rich food for them. 
And I say rich but in Kate, the terms why of- can't I just buy <laughs> collagen powder and gelatin powder? Because I know that that's what people will be thinking. Exactly. I love that question. So let's break it down a little bit. Collagen powder and gelatin powder is a processed food. It's cooked high heat, high temperature. It's dehydrated. And then it sits on a shelf in a plastic tub and then in your pantry. That's problematic because it's not the easiest form for the baby to digest. It can even cause issues. A lot of people, it's pretty neutral, but for a little young baby, like they don't need a dehydrated processed food. They need the freshest food that you can offer them, which is why raw breast milk is like a wonderful food for babies and humans, you know? Um, But the next best thing you could do, in my opinion, well, there's a whole homemade formula conversation that's not really, we're not really having yet, but... um, meat stock as the first food. And even if you are already on formula at four months, you can start doing meat stock and using the method that I, that I go through in mom baby biome to wean your baby off of formula and to have a really healthy thriving kid who can now heal themselves because they're not on the formula anymore, which is also a processed food. And yes, necessary in some cases, of course, but we do really want to be thinking in the frame of like, all right, how can I get out of this processed food Mm. situation and I think a really important thing to note as well is that when you start introducing solids this is a real opportunity as a mum to have a, a little break and to take the pressure off if you are introducing solids and you're just giving fruit purees and veg purees to start with and then you're introducing like everything that they recommend in this country like the ready break cereal and baby rice and all of this you're still going to have to work really, really hard to make that boob juice because that boob juice is the number one nutritious thing that your baby is consuming. But if you can give them these healing foods like meat stock and, um, you know, get them eating, like I chew everything for Jude and then give it to him so that I can give him um, stuff that he has still has no teeth, no sign of any teeth, um, so that he can have, he can eat things that he wouldn't be able to chew himself that are really nutrient dense. And that way I get a little bit of a break because I know that he's not relying on me as much. And when you're a tired mum, that's a really great thing. Absolutely. I love to teach about that angle because I think that people don't even really know it's an option, but like you can load your baby up on amazing animal fats and they'll feel really good. Mm. And they'll still want your milkies, by the way, (laughs) you know, it's like, no, that's not, some people say, Mm -hmm. well, if I'm giving them the meat stock, you know, are they going to not want the liquid from my breast milk? I'm like, no, they're still definitely going to want the boob. (laughs) Um, it's, it's the primo, but you know, like I don't have to just only rely on that for his main nutrition. I'm doing a whole array of foods which are supportive to him. And for meat stock for babies, it's really around like one cup that you want to give them. And for moms, it's about three cups per day if you can, so that you can make it into soups. You can blend it. You can make it as the base for your veggie purees if you want to give your baby veggie Mm. purees. Um, For me, I noticed when I introduced veggies, there was symptoms. There was a little hard to digest at times. So I just removed them for a couple weeks and then I added them back in. So now he does really well. Like he's 14 months now and he's, he does well. Like he ate our, um, marinara we made with like a tomato and there was carrots in there and celery and my husband's like he's actually eating all of it you know and so that's a good sign like there is progress here and that's the whole thing like we don't um just want to have our kids on a small amount of foods for life but we're doing these small amount of foods in a targeted time frame so that foundationally their digestive system can develop and they can go on to have a diverse a range of foods you know all the vegetables from the garden all the fruits in the seasonal times mm. when it's appropriate you know um, occasionally having like a pasta here and there, you know, like there, it's not, it, for me, it's not about being perfect, but it is about understanding like, oh, my body is giving me a clear cue here. It's correlated to this food and I want to be disciplined with removing it so that I have more freedom in my life and I'm not bogged down by symptoms. Yeah. And more resilience. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what you're doing and you're teaching as you're teaching resilience for babies and how I mean, I just think that's such an important word in this day and age where like everything's coming to get us, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> Our totally. whole lifestyles. It's, it's so crazy. It's so intense. And so just to give moms that, that like space to experiment with someone they trust with some, with other moms who have done it before and seen results and to really start to like lean into their own 
intuition and their own sense of what the baby needs, like that is the most empowering and powerful thing that a mom could Mm. have to trust herself that I know what I'm doing is right for my baby. That's awesome. And then you, then your baby's like thriving and like loving life. And yeah, you have a couple, um, roller coaster rides maybe with some die off symptoms, but it's like better out than in. And Mm. you know, this is like, I always talk about the quality of sickness. Like what's the quality of the sickness that that's being expressed by Augie and, or by another child in the course, like we can notice this and see like the more nutrient dense foods that they get, the faster they recover, the more obvious it is that like, oh, this is something the body's purging and he's going to go right back. Because I used the first time Augie got sick, I was like, it's going to be forever. <laughs> what if he's <sighs> chronically ill forever? You know, like, because that's just what's around us. <laughs> yeah. But he got over totally. it. Totally. <laughs> One thing I'm really interested in is, and I thought a lot about this before my C-section, is that so when a baby's born vaginally, obviously they get a really good dose of that vaginal microbiome and actually they get a dose of all the microbiome systems because what happens when a woman goes into labor is that the vaginal micro so the body is so called the vaginal microbiome actually takes on more of the strains from the gut, from the skin microbiome, from everywhere. So you're not just giving the dominant strains that live in the vagina, actually you're getting like all the the body system but microbiome systems which is so cool obviously that doesn't happen when you have a c-section but one thing that I was thinking about is in my scenario I've struggled with SIBO on and off for many years and it's been a journey let me tell you and I was in a really great place with it during my pregnancy and I was you know working really hard on that but I still knew that there was stuff going on there um and that you know my microbiome like could be better and I was thinking is it a good thing that he's being I was like trying to find a silver lining here it's like I'm not passing on my shoddy microbiome to my son because he's coming out of the sunroof Uh I mean I don't know like obviously I would still have preferred him to be born vaginally but part of me in my head is like is that a silver lining I don't know (laughs) yeah well I also my so I'm like lamenting with grief in the hospital. I was also overjoyed, but I'm like looking and you're also coming down from the drug. So it's really like a hangover type of feeling, which is extremely bizarre. But I'm like looking at my husband and I'm like, so I just got like a huge amount of antibiotics, huge, like in, in, most enormous dose I've ever had in my life. And he's like, well, there is some research saying that, you know, it's only going to kill the bad strains or something like that. I'm just like, okay, you're just really trying to make me feel better. I'm yes. pretty sure we know it's going to wipe out the good enough. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he did say something like very endearing and sweet to like help me feel better about myself, which I appreciate. And so the baby is sharing. This is, a, I think, another, this is like kind of an unknown. It's still like pretty mysterious to me. And I think it's like a life mystery. We don't have that much research about the microbiome. But there's obviously physiologic markers that happen with a natural birth that allows the baby's nervous system, spine, you know, the sounds, the movements, those cardinal movements that happen when the baby goes through the canal that are really important and in ways that like not can't necessarily be measured. Um, and I see that in Augie's little body. I see like, oh, some stiffness here and there. And and we're just going to keep helping him free himself up from those um, little burdens. But microbially microbially what happens is that when there's nothing when there's when there's not that big gulp of mama's microbiome at the end of that exit through the birth canal there's a space for pathogens to grow and i think that's mm. really the piece that is the most profound because now there is this is documented there is a much higher percentage of pathogenic strains that inhabit the gut than beneficial strains. So they're not getting that big, large dose of those beneficial strains when they're meant to. And that's where there is that little crutch that we have to basically work to heal. And that's why I'm so Mm -hmm. adamant about probiotics all the time. These microbes are transient, meaning they come into the system and they get pooped out. So we have to be really consistent and diligent about building the microbiome. And that's why I love food as the microbial Um, seed because these foods also have other compounds like vitamins, nutrients. It's easy to digest. The body knows it from a historical and ancestral context. 
we've been doing this since agricultural times because we weren't going to waste the whole field of cabbage. We had to preserve them in some way. Every culture around the world fermented foods. And now we just think it's optional because we have refrigeration. Mm. Our food stays good, but it's not actually. Humans need and depend on these microbes for our health. And so when it comes to that point of the baby not being born, Clostridia is a strain that's really common to overgrow. Yeast overgrows. They've got the drugs that are involved, and that means yeast are going to come into the situation and clean up. Yeast are cleansers. So yeast is a really common, very common (laughs) issue in modern times. And what I do with this is I support the gut, heal, and seal with meat stock, building foods, give the immune system what it needs through big time nutrient density. And then I support the microbiome by introducing beneficial strains of yeast because that's how we start to bring balance. So there's an overgrowth of clostridia. There's an overgrowth of pathogenic yeast in his body. And I introduce the beneficial yeast so that the beneficial yeast can start to take up space and they rule the Mm. camp. You know, I need them to be in charge. I need them to be the executives. I need them to be the administrators. I need them to be the janitorial staff. Like all the things, those beneficial yeasts need to do their job. And so it's my job as the mother to introduce these foods to him as quickly or sorry, as uh, consistently as possible and at the rate in which it doesn't tip the scale of like being too much. So for Augie, mm-hmm. I like kind of tipped the scale with the kefir once we introduced it around 13 months and he had like four days of getting sick and then another five days after that of like yeasty poops. And so by getting sick, I mean puking. Um, that was like three days. Um, and then these had these massive white, yellowy, yeasty smelling poops that happened for like 10 days. And then it evened out. And now he just drinks kefir and it's not so crazy and bad. He's having like a little emotional stuff. I mean, yeast can... Yeast can make babies clingy, children clingy, whiny, weepy. I explain all this in the course in full detail. Um, But yeah, once you start to like view the lens of like these behavioral things, these digestive issues, all from this place of the microbiome, it also takes Mm. off pressure from the mom. It's like, phew, it's actually not my fault. Like I'm not a bad parent. Actually, there's just yeast in there that are like going crazy. (laughs) So that's my long-winded answer to your question about you know, passing on the good and the bad. Um, I would say like Mm. there is stuff that's already been passed to him regardless of how his birth went. And then that birth gave the opportunity for other things to root themselves in. And so just continuing on for his whole life, like this is the long game. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really difficult subject and maybe I shouldn't broach it because I don't want to make anyone listening to this podcast feel like they've made a wrong decision because you haven't but it's why I'm so passionate about trying to educate around elective c-sections because it might be better for you because you know what day it's going to happen and you can plan for it but this is a time in which we need to be thinking about what's best for our baby and everything as we said earlier as a mother is about putting your baby first and it just makes me so sad because I couldn't have a natural birth and I wanted one and I know I just do you know do you know what I'm getting at like oh, the, yeah. it, it just really it just really saddens me that we've got to this situation where we are quite often like you know pointed in the direction of a c-section you know if if the if the mother is really if she's a really anxious mom and you know she's worried about what's going to happen or when it's going to happen you know someone might say to her have you considered a c-section and for me that's just oh it's just really yeah Yeah. it's really saddening well and exactly I mean the frame of it is that it's better for the mom but really it's not. I mean, the recovery for the mom oh my God, is it's way awful. worse. It's way hard. Like you have one of the big, they just, I can't believe how much a C-section is just sloughed off. And I have had to, you know, graphically like looking at my husband's eyes and explaining this to him. And one of the ways I finally said, I said, imagine what I would be doing if I didn't have those drugs that kept me completely quiet. Maybe that will give you some insight into what I have been through here. And mm. I'm particularly like, um, sensitive around surgeries and the hospital system in general. And so other people listening, they might not have that sort of charge around it that I do, but I feel, you know, I feel in a way I I had to go through this so that I could be an even bigger messenger for what actually is going on. Because I think if, if someone in there had had in their mind, how important someone in the room had had in their mind, how important, um, 
birth, natural birth is, that they would have given me another chance. They wouldn't have said, let's just yeah. do the C-section. We're just going to call in the surgeon. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's so bizarre. And then to just send me home three days later after having like a major abdominal surgery, not to mention being a mom. So I hope for people listening, I'm like giving voice to some of the things that they've been he and healing. Mm -hmm. And in no way am I shaming someone for having a C-section or um, like choosing a C-section. It's like, we're kind of in this together, moms, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. need to point to the things that are hurting us, not other moms who are want to help. Mm. Yeah. And it's not to say that um, because I, I think healing from a vaginal birth can be as hard as healing from a C-section because stuff can go wrong. Basically, it's pretty shit either way. The, whatever way the baby comes out, it's hard for you. Um, and it, yeah. So I have a question. Did you eat your placenta? My placenta got thrown away. So that was, they, you you may have wanted to, but they threw it away? I definitely wanted my placenta. <laughs> <laughs> I love Blinda. It's delicious. No, I <laughs> I definitely wanted my placenta for sure. That was an organ that I mean, I'm such a nerd in that way. Like that was an oh organ. Oh my god! They, I cannot believe they. Oh, they didn't ask. No, no, they sent it. Is that not protocol? I don't know what the protocol. I mean, you have to be very. Apparently, what I learned in afterwards was that you have to be very specific about everything, or else you're not. Mm. You're gonna get it their way, or else, yeah, and. I mean, I really grieved about my placenta. Like, I remember coming home and just, like, curling up in a ball and crying because I was just, like, I really loved that placenta. Like, I can't believe they Especially just... when you did the... You did so much <sighs> work to make sure that that was a healthy, vibrant placenta as well. Yeah. I mean, know? so to the question, would I have eaten it? Probably a little. I probably definitely would have, like, tasted it or put it in... I probably would have. And I definitely would have, like, buried it. And, like, I wouldn't have cut it off of Augie immediately. I mean... There's going to be so many things that happen differently in my next birth, so stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel quite scared about my next birth because mm. obviously people say with the second, you know, if you give birth vaginally, then the second one is easier because your body's opened up and it's done it before. But because mine was a planned C-section, I didn't even have any contractions. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going in as like a first time. Right. Well, <laughs> and they're really going to push birth. you to C-section as well. Oh, totally. So, yeah, I think that. Um, in that sense, like I would really want to do the somatic work of like of a rebirth if it were me. That's mm. what I'm still working on. You know, I just, I want my body. It's, and I'm telling you this rebirth that I had was like chemical. It was with one of my best friends who I actually wanted to be at the birth with me. We were in Hawaii, which I intentionally chose to go there to heal from the birth. Like, and boy, did it happen. So it just opened up this, you know, for the, the next six months I've been, or five months I've been really able to process and be in that deep somatic place with my body and let my body go there. And it was very hormonal and chemical. And I didn't know, even someone who's like so embodied, I didn't know that I could have those type of waves and like contractions, essentially. What That's what was happening. It was mm. very bizarre, but I was just, it went on for three hours. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So there's there's potential in there for the body to let, and I've had lucid dreams where I'm telling the surgeon he's wrong, you know, stop doing that. I've, I mean, just hmm. very visceral recaps and places, opportunities that my body, I see it as an opportunity where my body's allowing for repair. So I'm re hmm. reliving this and my body is letting me change the outcome a little bit in my nervous system. And that's where that therapist who she's a craniosacral therapist and she mentioned to Alex and I like she gave us like a physical push to do with each other when we when we come up with the fighting because that was an emergency and and it's still in our system somehow and so we need to process that so then by the time the next one comes around that we don't live in that place anymore we're able to start mm. new with this new baby and the new birth and and everything will go hopefully as planned at home, you know, healthy yeah. birth at home. And I just, there's this one, just on this note, there's this quote that I've been hearing that I love. Uh, birth is an emergence, not an emergency. And I just think that that's so wonderful. Yeah, definitely. I think cranial sacral therapy can be 
it's something I'm thinking of doing for Jude because he still is not sleeping. And I do think that there's a huge amount of stored trauma. Not necessarily, well, definitely from the birth because what baby wants to be like suddenly <laughs> whipped out of the womb, but also because of his tongue tie situation, which was really bad and misdiagnosed. And basically I would, I would feed him for, I, I'd clocked up six hours on one feed and this is continuous sucking. So this is also six hours in which as a newborn, he wasn't having a nap. And mm. as a new mom, I had no idea. I just thought it was like cluster feeding. I had no idea it wasn't normal. Yes, I was using nipple shields because it's really painful and I couldn't get a good latch. But I just sat there with him for six hours. And then, you know, lo and behold, he's got like an 80% tongue tie and he couldn't get enough milk. So he just had to keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm. And I think this is why he's still waking in the night so much for milk because he's just even though he doesn't need it now like he's a really good weight and everything and he eats loads of solid food and has lots of breast milk during the day as well but he I just think he has this physiological need to feed because he was so it was so hard for him at the beginning Absolutely. and I've been thinking about cranial sacral therapy maybe for him and for me because I'm so much I'm so far behind you and your healing journey like listening to you talk I'm like I just can't I can't even get I know that I need to do that work but I think for me it's like it's not just the birth it's the two previous surgeries it's the fact that when I was 70 when I was 21 I was supposed to go in for an operation when they would take out one fallopian tube and I woke up and they had decided to take out both rendering me infertile at 21 and I haven't haven't I talk about it all the time but I, I on no level have I dealt with that oh. um and so I think for me and then I and then you know knowing that I had to have IVF was again really hard because you just like pick a day. It's like, oh, I'm going to go and get pregnant on this day. And I didn't have the, for so many years, I didn't have any of those feelings, those hormones of like, I want to be a mom. I want to do this. Um, it was more a case of, I know I need to do this because I'm getting to a certain age. And, and then actually I did start feeling maternal because we got mm. a dog, a very cute dog. And this dog kind of switched on all these feelings in me. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready to go through this process. But I think I think I'm going to go seek out some cranial sacral therapy because I definitely can't do the work myself yet. Yes. I Augie had cranial on day 3. We saw him do the cardinal movements and he relaxed his arms all the way down. It was absolutely like so beautiful. Me and my husband were just like um that mm. just happened. They're and like magic workers, aren't they? It's very cool. Jude saw a cranial osteopath. And that was incredible, but not cranial sacral, which I think is slightly different, right? Yeah, I'm imagining that the cranial osteopath would be like, you know, working more in the, yeah, slightly different, but similar, um, similar goals, probably. Mm. The cranial sacral, what I know of it is like, it's working with the spinocerebral fluid that's flowing from the sacrum to the head and just a certain way of touch that supports the flow of life force, essentially. And so I think that for my, I absolutely for you and absolutely for baby, as much as you can, I learned from Rochelle uh, Saliga Garcia that seven to 10 sessions of craniosacral would be like adequate for a mom after birth. So I had that set up and mm. um, we still had issues. Like there were still things you know, like the spitting up was like my number one. I was like, this baby's like throwing up all this milk and like, how depressing mm. is this? I'm working so hard. And oh, it's so like, devastating. Like, oh my God. It was like constantly you know, and he's gained weight and everything. So it wasn't like a, everyone was telling me it's fine. It's normal. It's fine. And I'm just thinking to myself, I think it's yeast. <laughs> mm. It's yeast y'all. <laughs> but like, I didn't know at that time what, you know, more I could do until I got to five and a half months and I introduced meat stock and things really calmed down. And I also changed my diet at the time. I was still eating sugar and, um, sugar <laughs> my husband's making me homemade chocolate chip cookies and that feeds yeast which you kind of like you kind of need in those early oh, yeah. days like I'm totally I'm, I'm there with you yes I was eating nutrient-dense food but I was also eating like a lot of toast yeah you know because there's a it's coping so tiring yeah there's a coping element to it for sure there's a coping element and there's also the I like for me like the trauma you know, it's related to, to where I went as a little girl, like what would little girl Kate needed in the times of trauma. 
chocolate chip cookies. You know, it's like mm. <laughs> that kind of mm. level of nourishment. And so for me, it was like no shame. And and then one day I got the strength and I was like, okay, here we go. We're cut. We're done. I'm done with that for now. And it really 80, yeah. like 80% of his spitting up went. So it was like cut out the grains, pasta, went back on what I would call like a full gaps. So more organ meats, which I was still eating to justify my sugar consumption, <laughs> but like... <laughs> But you know now doing the food math. Yeah, now exactly. I was like, if I eat this much liver, then I can have two cookies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um. Oh yeah, such a process. I was about to say something and I totally forgot what it was. Oh well, and um, the other thing, um, Kimberly Ann Johnson's work, activate your inner jaguar. She does a lot of uh, healing from sexual trauma, gynecological trauma, birth trauma. I've had tremendous healing through her programming. She has a book called. Um, Call of the Wild, which is kind of like a feminist, The Body Keeps the Score. It's an excellent book. Mm. So for listeners, if you're any, you know, if you're like Grace and I and you have some somatic work to do, it's a, she's awesome. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. I think we all, everyone listening to this will have work to do on some level because it's not just something that you breeze through. Um, yeah. And that's not really talked about that much. And whenever I share anything, I always get messages saying, thank you so much for like sharing the realities. And I'm like, of course, you know, why are we not? Like, why are we not having these conversations? And like, it's, it is really actually very difficult conversations. And it's multiple points during this chat where I'm like, wow, I could just cry my eyes out, but I'm a podcast host, so I need to hold it together. Mm. Um, but it's really, it is, it's really important. And for the health of our babies as well, because they're going to feed off the way our nervous system is regulating. Yeah. And I'm just thinking back to like the part where we talked a lot about C-section. We talked about vaginal births and like the microbiome. And so like even people and you, you I had said like, yeah, recovery from a C-section is is more difficult and it doesn't necessarily have to be more difficult. But I guess just the the idea of the surgery, the drugs, you know, all of that is going to put another layer of implications on your body and your system outside of the physiologic birth. But then there's so many mothers who I've met who've had a physiologic birth, who've had that same story of like passing out in the hospital, who got released early and didn't have like adequate blood levels. And they're like so sick at home, can't stop vomiting, like all mm -hmm. of that as well. And, and people are getting drugs in the physiologic vaginal birth too. So there is that that element and like plus just in general the degradation of our microbiomes and the state of the human health there's a place for people to introduce solids like this no matter the birth and there's a place for moms yeah. to take care of their health no matter how your birth went like if you have the perfect most beautiful dream birth physiologic birth you still need those 40 days of postpartum care and deeply nourishing foods because that is so much on the body and we have to rebuild those tissues build blood build milk all mm. of those things require nutrients and rest yeah and it's and it's so uh, so many mothers have a course of oral antibiotics after birth anyway for one reason I had the IV antibiotics during the c-section which were a huge dose and then I had to have an oral course afterwards uh which was devastating um and that's sometimes just the way it is isn't it so, Kate, I think I should let you go. I don't want to let you go <laughs> because um, you've got your little boy to look after and as do I. There were loads of questions I wanted to ask you, like your favorite foods for postpartum. But look, maybe we will do some sort of a joint Instagram post and put yeah. this information out there. Um, I'd love that. If there's any like spitfire answers we want to do for the end, like from your Instagram or anything, I'm down for five minutes of just like... Phew. Um. Okay. Well, I can uh, I can make some up off the spot. Okay. Right, let's do this. Um, should babies eat fruit? Yes or no? Fruit's excellent for babies, but we want to notice any symptoms that come up with fruit. So like for me, fruit was not something I introduced first, and I noticed when I did give it to him, the yeast flared up a little bit extra whininess. The sugars he just couldn't quite digest yet, so I took them out for a period of time, and then I did more gut healing with more animal-based foods. Now I've added in fruit. We have a kefir smoothie with some fruit and he does pretty good, but it's still not the main food that I feed him all the time. Okay. Um, the top three or maybe five, if you would like, best foods for postpartum? Meat stock and soups. Um, I loved congee in my postpartum. It's a rice porridge that's traditional in Chinese cultures and Korean, I think, as well. 
Um, I would say if you can get organ meats, like an organ meat fatty meatball would be absolutely fantastic. As much animal fats and fats drizzled on everything that you can consume. And then I would say emphasizing like warm foods, whatever that whatever you can do to get in more like cinnamon, cumin, nutmeg, like those spices that help to warm and circulate chi. Mm. I don't really want to go to this place because it's a big door and we'd have to walk through it and talk about it for a lot. But maybe a conversation for another time would be, what do you do if you're vegetarian or vegan? Yeah. <laughs> because I think that... Yeah, let's talk about that another time. Yeah, so if I you're vegetarian, it's, I think it's some, eggs. Yeah. You need to eat lots of eggs. <laughs> if you're mm -hmm. vegan, we'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> let's chat about that another time. Yeah. Don't worry. I, I mean, I think to. listeners of this pod, yeah. listen this listeners of this podcast have me down as a bit of a vegan basher. So it's not that I'm afraid to go there. It's just that I feel like we would need more time than we have. Well, really quickly, I'll say veganism is a fast. And it's not meant for long term. I really don't think it's meant for women. And fasting is not what's needed or required in the postpartum period. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I'm also very passionate that we raise our children to consume nutrient-dense animal foods um, rather than impose maybe our ethical morals, beliefs yeah. on them absolutely Mo morals you know that's a decision that if they when they're 16 they come to you and say mom I want to be a vegetarian or a vegan like I'm gonna you know, say make that... a research project find me all the research <laughs> with credible sources <laughs> and we'll talk about it maybe because <laughs> they won't okay. be able to find the valuable research the valid research that says it's helpful <laughs> yeah all right, Kate, um, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you, Grace. Wonderful. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much again for tuning in to State of Mind. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review and share it with your nearest and dearest so we can get the word out there.